This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. Oh, man. What a way to start the morning. Uh, I am Mary Kitts Miller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 8th, episode 2054. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding it's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Whee! Which of the many, many competitions that you've gone to was that from? Do you remember? So the last one where the announcer is like, Mary Kitts Miller, that was in 2012 at the uh, the Supreme Mustang Makeover. And that was on my horse, Jax. And that was the first time I made the finals at the Mustang Makeover. And it was really funny because I cannot, I don't have a brain for freestyles. I just, I'll have these grandiose ideas and then I talk myself out of them. I'm like, oh, they're really stupid. It's not going to work. And, you know, I'm not like Bobby Kerr, those guys who can come up with these amazing, like jumping into cars and into trucks and through fire and, you know, so I had, I was like, well, I guess I'll do this scrocha thing. And, you know, I had a stick, a bamboo stick. I'm like, I guess I'll just ride around with that. You know, it'll be okay. Cause I had a really quiet horse. So I thought, well, I'll take the bridle off and it'll show some, you know, difficulty. I did not think it was going to make the finals because I'd done two Mustang makeovers before that. And I was sort of always a bridesmaid, never a bride, kind of come close, but never really make it in. So I had my little stick sitting in my tax stall and lo and behold, I made the finals. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I guess I'll just ride with my stick. So I go in there, you know, I make the finals. I I see and hear the crowd like cheering for everybody else. And they always have they they all have these like really a crazy freestyles that were just amazing. They're roping cows, bridleless, and jumping into trucks and all this and that. And I go in and kind of dink around for three and a half minutes with my stick and my bridleless pony and uh thinking, well, this isn't too bad. I'm not doing so bad. It's not embarrassing. And people went nuts. It was crazy. And that was like, that was when that announcer was like, Mary Kitts Miller. And I sort of wrote out like, oh, well, I made it. And people were like, that was awesome. That was so great. How long did it take you to plan that? I'm like, um, just now in, in the arena, I just rode around until they told me to leave. And, uh, so that was that was sort of the start to my Garocha um, uh, adventures because it's just it always goes so well. I'm I'm always really surprised. I always I have a little bit of imposter syndrome, <laughs> so I'm like they're gonna figure me out one of these days and kick me out. And um, that hasn't happened yet. Well, 
I often, and by the way, welcome everybody for non-regular listeners. Mary is here the second Thursday of every month where we geek out on horse training, all things horse training. So thanks for tuning in. Do you think that your freestyle went so well and you enjoyed it so much because emotionally you put zero pressure on yourself? I'm just out here playing around. Don't worry. Just go and do it. Yeah, I think I think it was a little bit of that and then a little bit of uh, just kind of a serendipity type of thing because like, so the pole was something I had seen. Um, I didn't invent that, obviously. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, working with the Garocha, it's Doma Vaquera is the style of writing. And now for, um, for those not other... in the know, what is the Garocha? That's that. That's the one the you Garocha's... see on YouTube where they have that big long pole and they dance around with it on yes. horseback. And it's usually a majestic Lusitano or Andalusian, and um, you know it shows a degree of difficulty because you're riding in one hand while maneuvering this thirteen to fourteen foot long pole. Uh, it it originated. It's it's a Spanish style and it originated um, that it's what they use to move. Uh, cattle around and like bullfighting bulls you can use it to push them around different areas and also to bait them and get them to start kind of coming at you and and then it 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 broke off into its own separate discipline you know because uh that's how most disciplines start it's got a degree of practicality and then you know it, it takes such a degree of horsemanship to do that it it can become its own art form and some other mustang people have done it in the past and i thought well that looks cool i'll give it a try and um so you know i had a really quiet horse where i could drop the bridle and blow up firecrackers behind him and i don't think he'd probably jump much out of a jog so you know i knew i could get away with taking the bridle off so that showed a a degree of difficulty and maneuverability for the horse and then the song that i picked i went back and forth between about five different songs and i picked the song by florence in the machine florence in the machine called shake it off and not a lot of people she's pretty mainstream but still not a lot of people especially in that crowd have really heard of her or heard that song and sometimes you get this idea for this brilliant song and it doesn't play well over the speakers it just doesn't have the acoustics and it doesn't really resonate but that song for some reason sounded freaking amazing (laughs) um and it's it's really upbeat and empowering and and um and it just it was one of those things where it it all came together and just worked out amazing. And the song really resonated with people. And the poll at that time, still not a lot of people were really doing it. So a lot of people had never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the audience gets it. They're like, that's amazing. You can ride a horse without a bridle. And you've got one hand on this pole and you're maneuvering it around. And then a lot of people, usually guys, I hate to say, are like, what's with the pole? I don't understand why everyone's using this big stick. I'm like, it's really hard, dude. It's really hard to do. Um, I call it my replacement for cow work because it gives you and the horse something else to focus on a job to do, which you either get get that turn with the horse's head going under the pole or you don't. Yes, I get it. Yes. 
Yeah. And and the horses that I've done it bridalist with, they ride bridalist better with the pole because after a while they learn the name of the game are like, oh, and the pole is in this position, we're circling to the right. And when it goes over here, we're circling to the left. I take the pole away and they often don't really steer bridalist very well. So mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting how they also get in on the game and and uh, it gives you both something to work toward. And, and it just changes up the monotony. Of yeah, the yeah. And for a horse who is either or should I say I'll I'll change that for a horse and rider pair who struggle with the horse either being dead to the aids or perhaps resentful to the aids I'm not saying it's the horse or the rider or the combination thereof but that's what the problem is that's what exists that type of work can really kind of refresh the relationship a little bit because the horse it's really hard for the horse to not get when I turn this direction and the pole is in this position, I need to do this with my body. Otherwise, I'm going to bonk my butt or my ear on this big, long uh, bamboo pole that has one end on the ground and one end in the rider's hand. It's, it takes It makes total sense to the horse. He goes, of course I'm going to do that. So it gives him the opportunity to use his body in a very athletic fashion when you get good at it and reasonably athletic when you're not very good at it and develop some good muscle memory and some good um, training vibes without that resentment part and without that part. And then it also gives the rider the opportunity to go, oh yes, my horse can be very responsive. I can use lighter aids. And what made me think of that is my very, very brief one weekend experience doing some cattle work um, uh, it came kind of get, I came away with a very different point of view of what cross training can be because I'm an English writer. I event, I fox hunt, none of anything that I did that weekend was even little, little bit familiar. Nothing was familiar except that I was on a horse. That was it. <laughs> it was, it was an equine. That was the only thing that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I was able to take many of those exercises we did, bring them back and apply them to a horse who was just as unfamiliar and it our training regime and our and our training relationship benefited from that. So that's really cool that that you are able to take that skill set from your point of view as as rudimentary as it is. I watch it and go, oh my God, she's really good at it. And apply that to the, to your training horses and really help them step up their training in a way that is very creative for you. And it's also very creative for the horse. It makes him think he's like, I've got to figure out how to get over there. It's really cool. Yeah. That kind of cross training is so beneficial because I find the root of most problems are the horse and rider focus too much on each other. Um, you get so in your head and in, in your horse's business, like trying to get them to move where you want them to move. And it, it start, starts to become kind of an adversarial relationship because then they're focused on you drilling away at them and they want to resist that. And then mm-hmm. you just end up in this kind of, you know, uh, just you end up in knots trying to figure this out. Yeah. And you throw a cow in the arena, no matter what skill level you guys have and no matter what breeding or discipline your horse is used to or you're used to um and especially if there's someone out there saying go get that cow and <laughs> then all of a sudden you take all of that hyper focus out of your horse 
and you look at the cow and your horse looks at the cow and you're both working towards the same goal of we've got to get on that cow. And it's a little ugly at first. You might kick a little too hard or pull a little too hard, but the horse doesn't get as offended because they're also looking at that cow. Like, what the heck are we going to do with that thing? And by the end of it, you guys have sort of gotten out of that like little toxic bubble of fighting each other and you're both working toward a goal and your horse gets less offended by your cues and you get less um, self-conscious or conscious of, oh my God, what if my horse bucks me off? I am fearless when I'm on a cow. I will run that sucker down. And, you know, if my horse somersaults three times on the way there, I don't even notice because we're getting that cow, dang it. Um, now, I try to prevent that from happening, obviously. <laughs> but by the end of it, you guys have both sort of been pulled out of yourselves, out of that sort of toxicity that you can get into where you're too focused on each other and fighting each other. And you you figure, you know, you're working on this goal, very simple goal. we got to stay on that cow's butt. Um, yeah. and it'll just, it, it really, really will, will clean up a lot of stuff. It'll yeah. get you less offended by each other's actions. Yeah. And, so um, it makes it, me think of those, those retreats that companies have the team building exercises where yeah. you take a, an yeah. office full of accountants and you send them to this, this camp up in upstate New York and have them do, um, obstacle courses for the weekend. Well, what, what has that got to do with being an accountant? Well, you'll be amazed. When you come back, you'll be able to take those skills and apply them to being an accountant with a whole bunch of other accountants. It's a little bit of that same process in that it doesn't seem like how is um, learning to track a cow and tracking a cow is when you gently follow behind it in the exact same path. I learned that the other day. I feel so smart. Um, the How is that going to help a dressage rider improve their uh, flying lead changes. Well, you might be surprised. You might not be able to put your finger on, it did exactly this, but taking those skills and learning them a little bit at a time, a little bit of time in between your more traditional training, you're liable to find that, wow, why are, why are my flying changes coming easier than they used to? There you go. That's all there is to it. So, I think I'm going to go chase my cows today. Chase your cows today. It's good for everybody. And since we've spent past 17 minutes going completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's what How it's all unusual. about here. That's what it's all about with Mary Kitzmeller. So it's whatever hot pops out in front of us, that's what we talk about. Today's training tip, we actually have one. And uh, it's all about what does it really mean to control the horse's feet? Because you hear that phrase tossed around a lot particularly in Western disciplines, and you see it a lot in, I'm going to use my air quotes, natural horsemanship. You don't hear it so much with the more English disciplines, but you are seeing it move in. So what exactly does it mean and what doesn't it mean? Um, so yeah, it is a very common idiom in the Western world and the, you know, natural horsemanship uh, area. And I've heard it since I started training horses, you know, you've got to move their feet, control their feet, control their feet, blah, 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 blah. And I misinterpreted it, the idea for many years. The first person that I worked for is, is a little, um, oh, overly enthusiastic on making them move their feet, you know, and, and uh, that's always been beaten into my brain. Move their feet forwards, backwards, left and right, and always reward the slightest try, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of followed it a little bit 
like a robot. And I just thought that if my horse gave me any problems, if he spooks, if he's, you know, pushy, if he's uh, wanting to run backwards, just move his feet forwards, backwards, left and right, forwards, backwards, left and right. And I just thought it meant like, you know, uh, keep them really busy and make them tired and hustle those feet. And anytime my horse did anything, if he flicked an ear the wrong way, I'd be backing him up, moving him sideways, jumping him forward, lunging him right, lunging him left, making him change directions, da 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 da. And I just, I'd tear into that horse, like move their feet, move their feet, move their feet. And sometimes kind of hustling their feet can be helpful, but I'm finding it's, it's really incredibly rare. Um, you know, I, it's, it's just not something that's always the most helpful or effective thing. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm controlling his feet. I made him run sideways. I made him run sideways the other way. I made him run backwards. I made him run forwards. I got him tired. He's sweating. Look at him. He worked really hard. Um, so why is that, why am I having to pull him out of the rafters every day <laughs> when I go to work him? It's cause I came at him like a schizophrenic maniac, um, you know, uh, and he, he has no idea what's going on. Um, I was in a clinic once, uh, and one of the participants was also a student of this philosophy of this kind of training. And, uh, she gets on this young horse that she's trained herself, done a pretty good job, but this horse hasn't been off the farm very much. And she walks by the sign and the horse spooks, you know, it's a baby horse and it sees a sign and it, it jumps sideways. They hadn't seen that sign before. And she kind of went at this horse with a why I yada and just ripped it in small circles, left and right and forwards and backwards and hustling, hustling, hustling. And, and my friend who was co-teaching the clinic with me stopped her and said, wait, wait a minute. That was an honest spook. That horse wasn't being bad. It's a baby horse. It saw something unfamiliar and it got startled. That's it. That's all that happened. That it doesn't require you ripping that horse around in a million circles. And if the horse is already nervous and you ramp them up like that, what's going to happen? They're going to stay nervous. And they're now they're not only going to be afraid, they're not only going to spook, but they're going to be afraid to spook, which is going to make them even more spooky. You're going to end up with this vicious cycle of I better not spook or bad things are going to happen. And now I feel really spooky because of that. So controlling the feet. What does that mean? Um, it, so it's it's a little bit more to it than simply running them around really fast or getting them tired or getting them sweaty. Um, everything that a horse um, throws at you problem-wise, um, whether you think they're being naughty or not, uh, every problem that you run into with a horse can be solved by managing their feet. And it's something that it is just that easy and it's just that difficult. You'll spend a lifetime mastering it. Um, but it's, it's the concept that's at the core of all horsemanship in my opinion. Um, so the way I see it is it, it comes to, it comes to this idea. Um, I think everyone has a piece of the puzzle and some people will tell you, well, you need to be your horse's leader. Uh, and then that kind of gets over-exaggerated to where it becomes, you need to dominate your horse and be the alpha. Well, that's not really a, that's not, that's not real science. That's more of a pseudoscience kind of uh, myth that you have to be your horse's alpha. Um, 
the way I see it is this. You, yes, you do need to you do need to be a leader for your horse. You need to give them something to do. You need to give them something to do with your feet. And I've used this analogy before. I'm pro- I'm probably have used it on the show before, but it really kind of helps me figure out where I'm going with my horse. And I just imagine, okay, you're in the top story of a hundred story burning building. Everything's burning down around you and you are panicking. What do I do? What do I do? And you're running around in circles like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't know. And all of a sudden someone, a fireman comes crashing through the window. He's got the uniform on. He's got the hatchet in his hand and he looks like he knows what he's doing. And he says, follow me. All of a sudden in that moment, I can go, okay, someone's here. Who knows something? I can, I can get through this and I'll follow that guy and he's going to get me out of trouble. And I think most of the time, and a lot of our questions today are having to do with spooky horses. So this really does help tackle those issues. I think most of the time your horse is just looking for something to do. And in the absence of real leadership, he'll try to figure it out on his own. And that can come out in many of the problems that horses, um, deal with uh, either extreme spookiness or um, being pushy or uh, being pokey or being too fast or being too slow or being aggressive or not paying attention. Um, all of those come from the horses just looking for something to do to make himself feel better. And, and if you're not there to say, hey, I've got something for you, then he's going to figure it out on his own. And the, and the problem, the, what he does to problem solve is not always going to be the most helpful for both of you. So, uh, as far as practical application of this idea of controlling the feet, it's not enough in my opinion that, Oh, I can lunge my horse in a circle to the left and I can lunge my horse in the circle to the right and I can sort of get him into all three gates most of the time and I can sort of push him off of me when he's standing on my foot. Um, You want to take it, your goal should be to take it to the nth degree. Um, How you'll never, you'll never get it completely mastered. You'll never have a hundred percent control of your horse's feet because he's a, you know, he's a living, breathing being. Um, but that should be your goal. So I want to take this idea of controlling his feet and not only being able to get him to back up a few steps or come forward a few steps or to go forward in a certain gait or to go sideways or to move his shoulders or move his hips. I want to take it to a degree of I can sit there and look at his left front foot and have him pick it up and place it down a few inches in front of where it was. And then I want to be able to look at that foot and have him pick it up and put it back where it was. And I should be able to look at any foot and do that. And again, that's that's a pretty high degree of foot control, but that's where you should be, whether you're on the ground or under saddle, is get that to happen. And I've talked about this before, uh, but it, it's, it was one of my aha moments that made me go, oh, that's what controlling the feet is. Uh, we were in a Buck Brandeman clinic I might have even talked about this last show, but I'll repeat myself. Um, <laughs> I was in a Buck Brandeman clinic, and uh, he's talking about something. He's waxing philosophically about something. And we're all standing around listening to him talk. And the scowls on this horse that's being a little impatient. He starts, he's pawing. He's pawing with his right front foot. And she interrupts, and she goes, I'm sorry, you know, can I'm sorry to interrupt, but what do I do about this? This horse is pawing with his right front foot. And Buck said, well, I'll tell you what Ray Hunt would tell you, which is one of Buck's uh, mentors. See if you can get him to paw with his left front foot. 
So she kind of looks at him. He's like, go, you know, just imagine what, what would it take to get him to switch from pawing with his right front foot? Now try and get him to go to his left front foot. So there's no magical cue for that. She just had to kind of sit and shift her weight and lift her reins and just figure out what would it take to get him to switch feet. And sure enough, after a few minutes, he picks up his left front foot and starts pawing. So he'd been pawing with the right. Now he's pawing with the left. So he says, okay, now get him to go back to the right foot. So she did that, switched her weight, lifted her reins, and the horse is pawing with the right. And he kept having her switch back and forth. And after a few moments, the horse just kind of went, huh, and then just stopped pawing. So how I would have tackled that problem in my youth and foolishness is, oh, you want a job to do? Well, I'll give you something to think about so you won't paw. And I'd run that horse around in a million little circles or, you know, just get him sweaty and tired so he won't ever want to paw because he's too tired. Well, that works on out of shape, unfit, yep. you know. Low energy uh, types, yeah. Yeah. Try that with an off-the-track thoroughbred or an Arabian. You know, those, the Arabian's like, ha, I can run 3,000 miles through the desert without a drink of water. You think running me in this 20-meter circle for two minutes going to make me tired? It's just going to make me more amped up. So, um, you know, instead, give your horse something to do. Give him a little job to do. Um, it could be backing circles. It could be side passing. It could be asking him to... Um, to move their shoulders uh, a few steps to the right, then move their shoulders a few steps to the left, move their hindquarters. I guarantee you no one has the degree of control of their horse, and me included, of their horse's feet that they ought to. There's always something more you can do. And the good thing is getting that, that amount of control of your horse's feet is going to be valuable for any kind of discipline you're doing, whether you're trying to get your lead changes in a dressage pattern, you're trying to be better working on a cow, um, or trying to be more precise in a trail pattern. It's all stuff we ought to be doing anyway. And as it so happens, getting that degree of control, there's something about getting the horse's feet, getting that degree of manageability of their feet. It does something to their brain. I have seen horse after horse time and time again. You give them small little jobs to do with their feet. I see it go all the way to their brain and they just kind of go, huh, okay, what's next? And I think you're just giving them something to focus on. Well said. And I have experienced this myself. And having worked mostly with thoroughbreds over the years, I early on had the same or similar idea of what it meant to make them move their feet as you did. I, I took it to mean the uh, high energy, chase them about, get them tired, et cetera, et cetera. And for most thoroughbreds, that's really pretty counterproductive to do that. So I thought, oh, it's just bunk. It just, it's just a whole lot of hoo-ha. It doesn't really work and set it aside. And once I learned a, a little bit more about what it really meant, like you said, tiny jobs to do with their feet, and I sort of got developed a little bit of that skill set, I had the same experience. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it does work for just about everything. <laughs> it is. It's a cure-all. Everyone can go home now. I found the cure for you know, everything. Scooter is a very fussy little pony. And he continues to be a fussy little pony about holding his feet up for the farrier. Uh, and he also likes to paw when he is stressed out about something. Pawing is his thing. 
moving moving his feet in that original connotation of just zhuzhing him around and with high energy and things didn't really help because all that did was take that little hackney's pony blood and get it up and he would do one of two things he would either get freaky spooky and be afraid of things and all wide-eyed or he would become confrontational and he would resent it because he's very into pressure any place you touch that pony with even the tiniest little push he's pushing right back so that original connotation was bunk for us. But once I learned that, no, it's a very specific thing. I need to tell you to take exactly three hooves and move them backwards and then stop and count to two. And then I'm going to make you move two feet sideways. And then you're going to move two feet the other sideways without stopping. Once I was able to, to kind of master that with him and do it without the emotional attachment, I wasn't I wasn't chasing him. I wasn't getting after him. I wasn't resenting him. It's just, this is what you're going to do. I can take him now when the farrier's there and he starts to get fussy. It's like, it's okay. Go over there and have some Gatorade. Just one minute. And in about three minutes of moving him through some foot exercises, he kind of takes a deep breath and goes, oh, crap. Because it's like, I don't really want to do that. I got to think about that. That's mentally hard. Well, and and when you start out, you know, if if you've got a horse that's like climbing trees, obviously you're not going to be able to go out there and say, I want you to move your left front foot two inches. <laughs> you know, right. You're probably going to be lucky you don't get stomped into the ground. And and so, yeah, you, when you start out, it's a very broad strokes that you're going to take. Um, I had, I was at a outdoor clinic um, and, and this, th- this happens to me time and time again is... Uh, I had a very nice lady come up to me. She was leading her horse. Horse was on, uh, you know, one of those 14-foot natural horsemanship halter lead rope combo thingies. And uh, she walked up to me, and she was trying to ask me this question about her horse. Something real like, oh, he paces on the trail. Um, And as she's trying to ask me this question, her horse is calling out because, you know, it's one of these outdoor things where people are riding in all different directions in and out of the woods on trails and everything. So there was just a lot of stuff for this horse to take in. And he's calling out and circling around her and not even looking at her, acknowledging her presence. And she's as he's circling around her and she's desperately trying to ask me her question, she's like switching hands with the lead rope, you know, allowing her horse to just do this like lunging circle around her. And she's trying to ask me the question of why is he pacing on the trail? I'm like, well, <laughs> he can't even do what this, which is n- the the job here is to not be insane. Um, so pacing on the trail, We're going to put that on a shelf for now. Um, But it all comes back to what's going on here. Uh, As it'd be nice if he'd stand still and quiet and, and, you know, allow you to exist safely and ask a question and stand, you know, stand still for a few moments. I said, okay, so you got to fix that here. Uh, It's like if, you know, I have people that say, why didn't we get our lead change in that show? And their horse told him the whole day he wasn't focused. You know, he he runs backwards off the trailer into the parking lot, screams bloody murder, circles around the owners. They're trying to get him in the barn, doesn't stand still for saddling, doesn't stand still for you to get on. And then you're wondering why you didn't come away with the blue ribbon in the show pin. It's like, you need to go all the way back <laughs> to the parking lot. You, you lost the class in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, see? So, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. They, they talk about and, the people who, lo- who lose the class in the warm-up pen or they lose the race in the warm-up. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe it took you 15 minutes to get your horse on the trailer. Um, you, you, that's where the class was won or lost. So, uh, so this horse was not in a state where we can, I could be like, let's pick up one foot and move it two inches. So I gave, you know, I told her, okay, let's give him, let's give him something to do. Let's give him something he can manage. What can he manage at this point? Cause he's, he's losing his brains. So obviously running him around, is not going to work. Um, yeah, you could probably get him tired and then he'll get fit and then it'll take you an hour to get him tired next week. And then pretty soon you're gonna have to show up to the show three weeks early to start lunging your horse to be ready for the class. So tiring him out's not going to work. It usually just ramps him up more. So I said, okay, two jobs that we're going to give him. He needs to look at you and he needs to stay away from you because he's running around dangerously. If he kicks out, whether he means to or not, you might be collateral damage. So I had her kind of shake a rope and get him back off of her. You know, just stay out of my space. It's not a I'm going to dominate you sort of thing. It's a I need to survive. So you stay over there, you know, freak out over there and look at me. Just keep your nose pointed at me. Um, that That's it. That's all he can manage right now is just stay away. Look at me. And we just sat there with this horse and she constantly had to remind him, nope, stay back keep your focus on me. Stay back. Keep your focus on me. Just do that over and over and over. The horse would run back toward her for comfort. She'd say, no, you got to figure it out back there. You know, shake the rope or do whatever you have to, to back the horse away. And anytime he looked off, get his attention, you know, either make a noise, shake the lead rope, whatever. And it's not a punishment thing. You don't want to be like, you looked away. I'm going to jerk your face off. Just get him to look at you. Stay back away. And that was all that horse could manage. You know, it's okay if he's moving sideways in a circle as long as he's away and he's got a, he's got his nose pointed at you. He's got his ears and eyes on you. Um, and after a few minutes of doing that, and I've seen this work a million times, the horse kind, and it might take a long time, might take 20 minutes of sitting there like, stay back there, look at me, stay back there, look at me, stay back there, look at me. And, you know, don't budge on it. It's two very simple tasks that you're going to demand for both your you and the horse's safety um, and just to get him on a base level of give me some attention and, you know, stay out of my space so we can both make it through this. And the horse after a while just kind of went, oh, lick chew, lick chew, lick chew, lick chew. Um, and that's where you're going to have to start many times with horses is give them something they can manage. And then once you get that, then you can start adding some criteria onto that and get a little bit more. Um, so where it would have, oh, there's a million solutions you could have tackled that issue with. Um, you could have tried to tire him out, get him hot and sweaty. You could have punished him because he's being bad. Uh, you could slip him a little ace, calm him down. Um, I'm not totally against using using sedatives in, in some situations, obviously not a show situation, but uh, I think the best case in most scenarios is give him something to do, something that involves control of his feet. Um, and that's where you start. So you'll have to, you know, a lot of times with horses, you'll have to start that simple. Just stay away from me. Look at me. And then you could build on that to where, you know, weeks or months later, now you're working on uh, moving their feet in, you know, small, uh, small areas small and areas. side passing and all yeah. that. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially if you have a horse who is only a goofball when you take them away from home 
it's a bit of a struggle because the only place you can practice it is when you take them away from home and there's everybody watching and you're kind of embarrassed and you've paid your fees. So you need to go do your class. So you need to focus on your warm up because his really, his trot lengthening is really sucking. You need to do them 45 times before the class. And you run through that, that litany of th- reasons that you don't want to deal with the problem, the immediate problem right now. And it's so hard to say, wait a minute, I need to take a step away from all those so that I can do this one thing that's going to have a global effect on my horse and my horsemanship. That's real. It's emotionally, it's a hard thing for a lot of us to do. I know. And that's one of the reasons it doesn't happen as often as it should. That's, it's just like, Oh, well, why? No, I don't care if he acts like that, like an idiot, as long as I can get on and get first place and in my training level test. But the global effect, again, just like we started out the show, the global effect of the overall relationship you have with your horse um, is going to improve having gone through that process. And with that, we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear from Horseware. And when we come back, we'll start into our next group of questions all about spookiness. So uh, here we go. Well, I'm here with Catherine from Horseware. We are at the trade show and I asked her a question. Horseware is really known for blankets and really well known and we use them all the time on the English side. But what do you have that fits that hard to fit, you know, quarter horse, the Western quarter horse? Our top seller into the Western market is our Bravo 12 plus medium. And the medium weight is a 250 gram fill. It comes with a hood that is detachable um, and it's a 1200 denier material. So I know that one of the things that's really important on the Western side is to have the hood, too. And I, the hood... No fuzzy necks, please. No fuzzy necks, that's right. And the hood kind of attaches in a different way than most hoods. This is pretty cool. The hood attachment is to minimize any sort of rubbing. So the hook is on the inside of the rug, and then the attachment on the hood is a Velcro. No snaps. No snaps, snaps. right. So it eliminates the rubbing on the neck. It eliminates rubbing. And it's so important to actually keep that neck covered. Uh, You spend so much time trying to put condition on that neck. It's a huge, big muscle. And during the colder weather, you're defeating the purpose of having put that effort into maintaining that muscle if you don't have the hood on. Very good. And of course, it has the quality. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because horseware has such quality, lasts such a long time that I'm really glad to see there's something for the Western market now with that quality. Absolutely. Our, our pattern is fantastic. The fit, the functionality, it, our blankets. And it just lasts a long time. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and the other beauty with our rugs, they are actually crafted so that they don't need leg straps. So when you look at the graphics that we have in our magazines or on our website, you'll see horses at standing, um, trotting, galloping, um, and the, for- the blanket is designed so that it stays in place and there's no slippage. Very good. Glenn loves that there's no leg straps. I love that. Yes. Horse husband approved. So now where can people find out more about the uh, Horseware line of blankets? We have a website that gives a comprehensive um, information on all the sizes, colors, um, and options that are available, and that is horseware.com. And it also ha- yeah, it makes it really easy to find out your size and to do all of that on there. I've been on there many times. Horseware.com. Well, there we go. I'd like to thank Horseware for sponsoring our monthly episode with Mary. She's here the second Thursday of every month, and we geek out on horse training. Sometimes it's just the two of us geeking out on horse training. Sometimes we Mary gathers together one of her training friends. We chat about with them. 
but it's always all about training horses. Uh, sometimes it's the precise stuff. Sometimes it's the global stuff. We're doing a lot of global stuff today. So what is our first listener question? And if you want to pose a listener question to Mary, our auditors get to do that. If you're not an auditor yet, you need to go to horsesinthemorning.com or horseradionetwork.com and look for the Become an Auditor link and click on that. And for as little as a buck a month, you can become part of the super special group that has their very own Facebook page. And whenever we do Q&As with guests or hosts, you guys get to pose the questions. And there's other perks, too. So check that out. So uh, what's next, Mary? Okay, so we have three questions that tackle this idea of what the heck do you do with a spooky horse? I figured I would read all three of them because my answer is going to be very similar for all three. Um, So the first one for Casey Berger is, where do you start with a spooky horse? Obviously on the ground, but what is your process? Oh, no, I totally just hop on that bad boy and ride him through it. Um, (laughs) 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 <laughs> the next is from Melissa. It's either Aquino or Aquino. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I was asking my horse to go buy some things that were a little scary. He was really trying to be brave, but then seemed to shut down. I asked him to go forward, but then he would just back up every time I asked to go forward. Once I realized we weren't being productive, I got off and hand walked him. This was on my boarding barn's property, so it wasn't a big deal. I'm more concerned about him backing up on a trail or arena that may be dangerous for us. Is there something we can work on so his reaction isn't to back up? And then the final one is from Sandy uh, Walter uh, Ross Fanis. <laughs> I'm so bad at names. We don't have any Smiths um, in our auditor room, by the way. No Smiths, no Jones. No. I know, right? Um, she says, so maybe to carry this question further, how do I get a 20-year-old who is used to arena work for most of his life uh, used to the trail? Uh, we tend to have good luck going out after a vigorous, tiring arena session. And yes, he's a little braver with other horses. I'm not the bravest rider in the world either. We do short rides so far and I sing a lot. Ha. <laughs> because singing makes you breathe, which makes you less scary or scared. Um So where do you start with a spooky horse? What do you do if he wants to back up by scary things? Uh, And you're worried about how is that going to worsen when you go out on the trail? How do you get an arena horse used to working on the trail? So um, one of the most common mistakes I see with spooky horses and riders is either the rider anticipates, oh, my horse is going to spook at this sign over here, or the horse does spook at the sign. So what they want to do is take the horse right up to the sign and make them touch their nose to the ah! sign. Um, and that's where you'll get a lot of that backing up or obstinance of, uh, no, I am just not going to do it. Uh, to me, that's kind of like I am deathly afraid of heights, Uh, so if you forced me to walk down a high dive, like you're pushing me the whole way. And right when I finally get brave enough to like, look over the edge, you start pushing me. I'm going to become homicidal. I will, I will kill you to not have to do that scary thing. Um, (laughs) so, so, and that's kind of where we're a predators. We want to go, we want to tackle this situation head on, make our horse go right up to it. Um, 
that's not really going to work. It's going to increase the fear and anxiety and create a behaviors like backing up and not wanting to go over under through whatever scary obstacle it is. So what I would actually do, if there is something specific your horse is spooking at or wanting to back away from, you can't get them to approach it or walk by it. Um, I'll use a little cow work savvy. Um, so that's that cross training coming in that will help, um, uh, tackle their fear of that object. So, uh, with cattle, even if your horse is incredibly well-bred for cutting and ironically cutting horses tend to be very spooky on cattle in the beginning, um, because they're bred to look at that cow's every movement. They're bred to pay attention to this animal. Uh, you don't want to just take them right into the herd and start cutting cows and pinching them off on the fence and running them down and being crazy. Uh, you'll end up in a huge wreck. So the first thing you do is uh, you have a cow loose in a big, open, safe area and you follow it from a distance. Um and some of the rules of cow work, you're never really wanting to turn your horse away from the cow. You always turn them into the cow. You keep their nose on the cow. You start from a safe distance and you work your way up. So you can use that uh, methodology uh, with spooky objects. So let's just say that the thing that um, Melissa's horse uh, is trying to uh, walk by, let's, let's say it's a sign on the wall. So... Obviously, what we tend to think about is I wanted to walk my horse down the rail and he doesn't like that sign. He wants to back up or jump sideways or spook on the rail. And so what what we tend to want to do is is push our horse on the rail and like hug him with that leg and, and make them stay on the rail to go past that sign um, because that's where we want to be. That was the whole goal is I wanted to just walk you down the rail. Uh, where I would start is... Uh, right below the threshold of my horse saying, no, I'm going to back up. I'm going to spook. I want to, I want to find that threshold and stay back away from it a little bit. So that might be 10 feet from the rail. That might be 50 or a hundred feet from the rail. You might be on the opposite rail. Start there. That's okay. Wherever your horse says, okay, I'm fine. Start there. And what I would do is I would walk past the sign from that distance and I would either walk or trot something, you know, in the lower gate, my horse passed back and forth past that sign. And every time I stopped to turn around to pass it from the other side, always turn into that obstacle. Um, if you turn away from something scary, now the scary thing is behind you and your horse's spook can get even bigger. But if you turn into it, um, your horse gets more and more chances to see that scary thing pass from one eye to the other. They get used to it a lot quicker. Um, plus, what naturally tends to happen, unless your horse is like the king of rollbacks, anytime you turn your horse in the direction of the scary thing, what naturally happens is they'll take a few steps closer without them even realizing that it's happening. So I like to walk my horse back and forth in front of the scary thing from a distance where my horse is not saying no. So if you get to where your horse is backing up is unmanageable, unmanageable, it's just not working, go further away. Um, and just start there. You got to start somewhere. So I'll walk my horse one direction, turn him into the scary thing, walk the other way and just do that 
you know, nonchalantly, don't even look at the scary thing. Don't, don't come at it with a, I'm going to make you touch your nose to the scary thing. All you're working on is walking forward, stopping, turning, walking forward the other direction. That's it. Work on that. Get your horse soft on that. Get their shoulders under control. Just focus on that. Don't focus so much on the scary thing. Um, after a while, when your horse realizes you're not trying to force a confrontation with the scary thing, they'll naturally, hopefully start to calm down and focus more on you and what you're asking. Um, and then again, that constantly turning into the scary thing is tends to naturally bring them closer to it. So it, it happens more organically rather than you trying to force it to happen. So, um, I will get a little closer as my horse allows, as the situation allows. And um, you might not get all the way up to it in one session. When I feel like my horse has made a huge step, let's say we had to start 50 feet away from the scary thing. And by this practice of walking forward, stopping, turning into the scary thing, going the other way, forward, stop, turn, forward, stop, turn, forward, stop, turn. Let's say my horse is now moved into the range of 30 feet from the scary thing. That would be a really good place to let your horse just stop and relax. Maybe get off for the day or go work on something else. Like, Hey, you got really close to that scary thing. Let's, let's go over here and work on our circles or work on backing or work on, you know, don't always make it about that one scary object. You're just sort of sneaking this idea onto them that you want them to approach it. Some horses, you can conquer this in one session and you get them right up next to it. Um, I'll, I'll tend to let my horse rest next to it. I usually am not big on letting them touch noses to things. Um, let's say they finally get up to a scary sign and you put their nose on it and then it crinkles and now they're like, ah, I knew I should be frightened. <laughs> I'm very careful about that. Um, yeah, when it, when it comes to the nose touching thing, make sure you practice that whole process in groundwork, so you're familiar with what horse's typical toes, yes. not touch nose to crinkly thing. Because if if they're the type that goes sideways or, yeah, practice that on the ground first. Yeah. Yeah, or sometimes they'll just reach out and bite the scary thing and now you're in trouble. So just be careful with that kind of stuff. But uh, the one thing that I see that, that makes my teeth grit a little bit, especially with signs, is I'm going to walk my horse up to it and then I'm going to shake the sign to let him know it's there. <laughs> Don't do that. Your horse probably would have been fine walking by it. Now you've just given him a million more reasons. That's like the latest Mustang makeover I went to um, with Remy. Now Remy's been hauled a fair bit, but at you know just under four months of training, formerly Wild Mustang, he's still going to be a little wiggy in new places. Um, when I take my horse to the arena, uh, to warm up. Yes, the majority of my maneuvers in the class are going to take place on the arena, but I'm not going to get that tunnel vision of we got to get you right smack up next to the arena right now. I ride him in the middle. And then as the session goes on, that warm up session, th they'll naturally drift toward the rail and I let it happen and I'll let them rest on the rail. Tons of resting on the rail. If there are people in the stands, you know, I'll talk to them and have them talk to me so my horse knows, oh yeah, there might be people here that are talking and this is a thing that happens. And I was doing this in one warm-up session and Remy kind of looked at the signs and I was like, don't worry about those. Let's just go to the middle of the arena and work on some softness and, you know, 
Then we're slowly making our way towards the signs. And then someone came in with their Mustang and they're like, let's go right to the signs and shake them all. I'm like, thanks. Thanks, buddy. And the horse that probably would not have had a problem with the signs, you know, now you've just run up to it head on face to face and made it an issue. Um, Don't make an issue out of things that might not be an issue to begin with. Um, So that's one way to do it. Let's say the scary thing is like out in the open somewhere. Let's say it's a mailbox or like a puddle that your horse might have to go through. You could take the same idea, um, approach it at a distance that is just under your horse's threshold where he's like, you know, wants to clock out and leave town. Um, You might have to start 50 feet away from the puddle. I will do the same idea, only I will circle the scary thing. And again, you could do it walk or trot, canter if you're, you know, if you feel you've got that kind of control. And then every so often, just turn your horse into the obstacle, go the other way. And again, what'll happen is he'll naturally have to take a few steps closer toward that obstacle with every turn. So I'll circle a couple of times, turn into it, go the other way. Circle a couple of times, turn into it, go the other way. This is actually how you can get your horse to cross puddles for the first time. Because instead of like putting him right to the edge of that water and kicking him until he jumps that puddle like a madman, um, if you constantly turn into it, one of those times he'll step one foot into that puddle. And then you just keep him on that circle and then turn into it again and he'll place another foot or two into the puddle. And then pretty soon he's, he's stomped that puddle enough that he goes, oh, it's okay. And Whatever. then you can cross yeah. the puddle. Yeah. Um, uh, something that I see a lot of people do when I go to play days or when I'm out hacking about and with other friends and stuff, they're going through this process, scary object in the open. And we are trying to go back and forth around it or back and forth in front of it. So you get to, the horse gets to see it out of both eyes and gradually getting closer and getting closer. But what they forget to do is actually tell the horse to walk, turn, walk, turn. They, they sit there rather as a passenger and the whole time they're doing it, the horse's eyes are bugged out of his head and he's snorting at the object rather than saying, no, we're going to walk around that, um, scary piece of garbage in the middle of this open area. But while we're walking around the scary piece of garbage and trying to gently get closer, you're going to watch walk properly. You're going to walk forward. You're walking in a straight line. You're walking between my hand and my leg so that the horse is still going, oh, you're in charge. You've got my back. You're keeping things under control. You're being the fireman versus saying walk around this thing kind of like, oh, just... Go stand in the corner. I'm just your friend here in the office. Go stand in the corner while the building burns down around you. You want to be the fireman. Tell them exactly what you want to do. And that, in my experience, if you just let them wander around the object, it doesn't work nearly as well. Yeah, yeah. It it can be easy when the horse is kind of wanting to grab a bit and take control of the situation to just ride it out like a passenger. Um, I'm not going to like force them into frame and, and, or, you know, do anything like that, but I am going to say, Hey, make this circle round, tip your nose to the inside, go around my leg, keep that shoulder lifted up, keep that hind end engaged. And you're just gently giving your horse, Hey, remember, focus on the training, focus on the training. And, you know, if you are focused on that and less on the scary 
object, they will in turn be the same way. Um, and so obviously you want to start, if you know your horse has these issues, you want to start these things. I like to do it in an arena, um, you know, some sort of controlled environment uh, that has some familiarity to your horse before tackling this on the trail. And then, you know, two of the questions had to do with, okay, I know he has these problems in the arena. Um, how do I do it on the, uh, on the trail? Um, my biggest tool that I use to help me out on the trail is if you can manage it, find someone with an old trustworthy trail horse and, uh, you know, a horse that doesn't mind if another horse runs up on his butt. And I, I put that baby right behind that big trusty horse and that's that baby's job is to put his nose on that horse's butt and follow him um and that will make the biggest difference and you know usually i'll go on a six or seven mile trail ride and on the way there i just keep my my young horse uh on the butt of the older broke horse um you know a horse that's not a you know not impatient not you know not gonna get angry if a horse jumps up his butt uh, and then as my horse starts to gain some bravery, I'll slowly start letting him pass the older trail horse and lead the way on a few patches of the trail that are really manageable um, and controllable. So that's that's how I get going on the trail is, uh, you know, put them behind that older experienced trusty horse, pick your trails, know where you're going. Um, uh, typically, I re weirdly enough, um, the, tr my kind of favorite trails are the ones that are not as out in the open. Um, the trails that I go on, there's a big open hay field and I see a lot of people get their horses out and lunge them in that big open hay field or lope them around in circles in that open hay field. I actually just go straight into the woods. I just get on my horse, make sure I've got control and then just dive bomb right into the woods. And <laughs> it sounds odd, but there's something about having that kind of barrier of trees on either side with a calm horse in front. It doesn't give my horse many options. They see, Oh, my friend's in front of me. There's not a lot off to either side where I can go. So they just tend to point their nose and go down the trail. And I pick the trails that I know there's not going to be crazy ravines or big, you know, deep water that I have to cross. Um, just something really manageable like that for their first trail. There we go. And we could just go on and on and on. But I know. I, I know. It's just, that's the fun about this episode. But it's time for us to take a little short break, get comfortable, take a deep breath. Um, let the scary object be far away from you for a few moments while we hear from the folks at Total Saddle Fit. Well, speaking of comfortable and focused, uh, one of our really valued sponsors on the monthly training with Mary Kitzmiller show is Total Saddle Fit, and they make the shoulder relief cinch. And the shoulder, shoulder relief cinch, very popular. You're seeing it at all the tack shops nowadays. It's kind of unique. Because it improves the saddle fit and the horse's comfort. And how does it do that? The center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural girth groove, while the sides up there near your ankles are set back and attached to the latigos further back. And that prevents the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders of your horse. Very uncomfortable, people. 
and allows for better elbow clearance. Yes, if your horse's elbows are being pinched by the cinch, that's a bad thing, and he's not going to be able to focus on his works. And it uses an interchangeable liner system so that the cinch can be used with either a top-quality limestone neoprene, wool felt, or wool fleece, whatever your horse likes. And it makes it easy to keep clean and allows flexibility because you can have one cinch and lots of different liners. And it is also, this is new, available in a fully synthetic version. And ding, 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 yeah. Newsflash, just new to the market. There is also a version of the cinch available that is designed specifically for Australian and trail saddles. You know the ones that have the long billets that are wider than an English saddle? Uh Mm Uh-huh. It works on any saddle that has inch and a quarter wide billets and it has a removable girth strap so some australians have that over girth part and some don't so they were very clever and they put that over girth strap on there so that it is removable so it doesn't matter which kind of saddle you have and you can learn more at totalsaddlefit.com or walk into your local tax store and you'll probably find them there all right what's our next cue my dear all right. So, uh, yeah, we got the spooky horse. Hopefully, hopefully that answered your guys' questions. Um, pretty much in a nutshell, uh, don't get to the point where your horse is saying no and wanting to run backwards. Start just beyond that and work from there and, and build, uh, build your horse's threshold up to the point where he's, he's going to be willing to take that closer step. Don't just dive right into the, the toughest position for him. Um, so then we got a few questions about rearing um, from Rachel Lux. Lux? That might be Lux, yeah. Lux. Uh, ideas for working through rearing, which appears to be random slash uh, or no specific pattern. Um, and then uh, Courtney Page is something. <laughs> also has a question about rearing horses. What do you do to make it stop? Backstory, I'm cur- currently working with an unbroke 12-year-old Appy. She will, I think it means, uh, I think it's autocorrected, but it's she will rear and flip over. Ooh. We have worked to the point that she now just pops up small enough to not risk flipping, but I still haven't figured out how to get it to quit. All pain and normal things have been ruled out. She's just being a bratty Appy who doesn't want to work because she's never had to. Um Let's see. So those are our two rearing questions. Um, uh, interesting. I, I read this in a in a fiction novel, and I've never tried this, and I'm not encouraging anyone to try this. It but was fiction, people. Fiction. It was total fiction, but it, it's intrigued me enough. Maybe maybe one day, if I ever get a rearer in training again. Um this uh, girl was riding this horse and it was rearing and about ready to flip over. And this guy came up, some horse whispery dude. Um, he said, well, if you're going to ride the horse, you know, let's do this. And he tied the horse's tail, like pulled it between the horse's hind legs and tied it to the cinch. Um, and because the horse couldn't like bring its tail out somehow, it was like, well, I'm not going to rear now. Um, that's so crazy. That's that. bizarre. Wow. It's one of those things, it sounds just so nuts that I think it would work, <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, so don't do that. That just popped into my head just now. <laughs> don't try that. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, so rearing number one problem that I see that can help with a rearer is the horse has a sticky gas pedal. The horse does not want to go forward. Um, so I would work on that from the ground in the round pin on the lunge line, not only get your horse moving forward freely, but at all three gates, uh, work on this to the level where you can easily ask for all three gates and variations within those gates. And your horse flows from one transition to the next without any sort of stickiness. That's how I would start with that from the ground. And when I say go forward, I don't mean, you know, bolts forward and runs. Um, get that gas pedal unstuck. It's a lot of horses with problems with rearing or wanting to run backwards or they want to bolt. Um, when I say sticky gas pedal, it kind of means like I'm driving a car and when I, when I first put my foot on the gas pedal, I can't get it to go down. And then all of a sudden I get that gas pedal to move and it just goes all the way to the floor and gets stuck. And now the car's and, you know, taking off and, um, you know, the car's sped up and out of control. So you want to get it to where that gas pedal just moves up and down completely nice and smooth. And that car goes from one gear to the next nice and smooth without sputtering out um, or getting stuck. That's the that's the most important thing that is going to help you there. Um, so a lot of times a horse that has developed rearing to the point of flipping over I've very rarely seen horses just come up with that first reaction to something is rear up and flip over unless they've just been pressured like like a wild Mustang has been shut in a pen so small he can only think to rear up and flip over. It's it's not something they naturally do unless they feel they have no choice. Um, but a horse that kind of has developed this habit of rearing and flipping, they usually don't start out that way. They usually start out just sort of popping up in the front end. And what naturally happens when we're riding them, and this is totally natural, this is not this is not wrong to do, um, but it just it can make the wrong thing happen, unfortunately, is I'm riding my horse along, they pop up their front end up. What I'm naturally going to do, unless I'm crazy, is I push my hands forward. Because you don't want to pull that horse over, obviously. So you push your hands forward because the horse has popped up. And in the horse's mind, he goes, aha, when I brought my front feet in the air, the pressure was off. So that's that's my answer. That's where I go, is up. And then it ends up happening again and again and again um, to where, you know, the horse gets, they get more brave in, in rearing up higher and higher and higher. And of course your natural instinct is to push your hands forward. You don't want to get in that horse's face and pull them over on top of you. Uh, so how do you fix that? Well, I know some crazy cowboys who would just be like, well, I'll keep the pressure on. And if you flip over, I'll go over with you. I wouldn't recommend that either. <laughs> so, You've got to figure out how to get that horse to look somewhere else for that answer. Um, some of the things that I'll do with the horse is get them really soft laterally, you know, start it from the ground. So when I say laterally, meaning you can take their nose softly from left and right to right with no resistance, um, work on that. I'll get their hindquarters really loosened up, meaning I can tip my horse's nose in one direction and get their hindquarters to swing away. So really work on that disengaging their hindquarters. 
Um, that's another thing I'll work on. I'll really work on moving their shoulders. Get those lateral buttons working really well for you. So it's something that you can do to redirect your horse if he's thinking of going up. You have to be so careful with your timing and with your pressure because you can still, even if you're only pulling on one rein, you could still get that horse to rear and flip if you're not careful. But the number one thing I would say to do is get that gas pedal working. Start on the ground. Um, get it flowing nice and smooth. And um, start getting comfortable riding on a loose rein. Um, if I don't give my horse anything to pull against, he's less likely to pull. So I will get out of his mouth and give him that big loose rein. And if I do pick up on him in any way in the beginning, it's going to be lateral. This is actually how I start my colts. Um, most horses, all horses, aren't going to understand if they don't have any concept of what brakes are or what steering is. They're, if you pull on both reins, those horses aren't going to get it. They'll either mow right through it or they'll run backwards or they can rear up. Um, or at the very least, they're going to be very confused. They don't tend to understand pulling back on two reins as any sort of cue in the beginning. They just see it as a lot of pressure. So I teach those horses in the beginning. Um, whenever I break those horses, I need to slow you down or stop you. I yield their hindquarters. So as they're trotting around on a big loose rein and I want to slow them down or stop, I tip that nose to one direction or the other. I only pick up on one rein. I put my leg back and get them to yield their hindquarters around all the way to the stop. So that's, that's what I would call a one rein stop. I would get really good, uh, teaching horses like this, how to do something like that. But yeah, a lot of times if I have something that's really light in the front end and wants to rear, I give them that loose rein and I'm not going to give you anything to pull against. And I'm going to work on going forward. And hopefully I've worked on this on the ground enough that where my horse knows not to bolt forward, um, or to get sticky. Interesting. So from a completely different angle i've had to deal with very few rearers over the years thank you very much because it's kind of a terrifying and dangerous habit but one i did have um she only reared from the ground she didn't do it under saddle and i think it was just a case of we figured it out before it became a habit there but she would rear if you ask her to back up with a halter if you were on the ground if you had a halter and lead rope on her if you ask her to back up she would pop up in the air now we Never went the route of punishing her for that because all that was going to do is escalate things. She was very much an alpha mare. And with her, the advent of clicker training made a big difference mm -hmm. because for that particular horse, she had, she'd had the behavior all figured out before she came into our lives as a grown adult. Um, asked to back up, pop your feet up in the air. So we taught her what positive reinforcement was and taught her to back with a lead rope using those aids rather than the traditional aid of either yanking on the halter or uh, vibrating the lead rope or things like that. All of those aids created the same result pop up in the air. But once we figured out, we taught her what a positive reinforcement was. When you hear this sound, that means whatever you just did is good. We were able to teach her to back, take steps back, and for her, it was like, oh, what's in it for me? She wasn't resenting us for making her move her feet because I'm in charge and I'm not going to back down. That was her attitude. Um, it became like, oh, cool, back up. I get a cookie. 
so for us, it was very much outside the box. It's like, oh, never tried anything like that before. And because it didn't translate into work on the ground, you could, she, she never even thought about rearing on, under saddle. You could back her up. You could do anything you wanted to. No rearing. Um, and for, so for that particular horse, that particular training became very, very useful. It was what's, what was in it for her and the poisoned cue that we, we talk about so many times is if you give a tug on the halter, if you rattle the lead rope, if you tap her with the lead rope end on the chest, all of those things to her meant resentment. You're going to make me th- do things I hate. I'm going to rear up. And for her, it was an act of get away from me because she would rear up a little bit. Of course, the human would back away got the result I needed. Um, so that was our solution to that crazy little problem with that crazy little pony. So it's interesting that uh, have have different solutions for different. And I'm glad that Courtney put that question in because it is a behavior that needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed intelligently because it can be so, so very, very dangerous. And, and disengaging those hindquarters, such a handy thing. Oh, that is it's a foundation for all the things from <laughs> fixing a rear to getting your lead changes. There you go. Um, and the interesting thing about the clicker training, um, I think rearing really demonstrates what can happen to a horse when they wear this neuropathway in the, in their brain. And when it becomes a habit, it becomes easier for them to just snap right to. It's, it's the same process by which... Um, Drug, drug drug addicts, excuse me, can fall off the wagon so easily because that, that pathway is just worn so well in their mind that it's so easy for them to snap back to that behavior, even if they've been clean for years and years. Um, and so with horses, um, a horse that never would have dreamt of rearing in the beginning because he's got a natural strong sense of self-preservation can become very problematic and and a habitual rearer just by virtue of practicing. And, you know, it's it's easy to blame ourselves like, oh, you did this and it caused him to rear. But and while you're trying to diagnose and fix the problem and it continues on, sometimes you just can't stop that habit from totally been there um it took me uh the last bad rearer (laughs) i had was my own personal horse and it was just a situation of i thought he needed his teeth done so i had his teeth done and he kept rearing so i thought well it's not your teeth so let's fix it with training um four months later had another dentist check him out turns out it was his teeth in the first place but by then even having fixed the problem for sure, he wanted to go right to that rearing. And this horse was a calm, steady Eddie, good natured horse who never would have done that six months ago. Um, but because I didn't get to the root of the problem quick enough and I didn't do the right things to fix it, you know, it just happens. Life happens where, you know, we're not all horse masters. Um, it took me about, ooh, it took a year for me to fix it in all sorts of different methods. Um, so the, you came at it from multiple angles. You didn't just count on one, one oh, path. Yeah. When you've got such an extreme case, so many different things can create rearing. In fact, you, you know, speaking of clicker training, I was at an Alex Curlin clinic, um, who's a brilliant clicker trainer. And she showed us this video from a previous clinic and people were all working on backing their horses. And this horse would back a few steps and then it reared. 
And she stopped the video and she goes, why did this horse rear? And I'm thinking in my horse trainer brain, like, oh, he's really stiff and he needs to be softened and she just needs to push him more and blah, 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 blah. And then she showed another clip of the horse moving and you could clearly see, oh, he's got a stifle problem. And it was so subtle that, you know, you wouldn't, your red flags wouldn't, you, you would you wouldn't see those the, those warnings right away unless you're just like a vet. Um, so sometimes it is a pain issue or body soreness or teeth issue or you know something like that. But you don't always see that in the beginning. And in the me- in the meantime, the horse has now formed the habit. And so a horse that normally wouldn't be a rearing maniac has turned into one because jumping to that habit has become so easy for him to do. That's why things like clicker training can be almost magical and how they fix because you are wearing a new pathway in that horse's brain and they can jump to that um, much quicker than they can the rearing. Uh, there's something, I don't know the science behind it because I'm not a scientist or a doctor or vet or anything like that. But that clicker training, that positive reinforcement, it does so much more than just, oh, you're giving them cookies for being a good boy. It can really change the way they think and the way they attack problems. Yeah. It can help you too. It breaks that cycle trying something completely different. Yeah. If, if you have uh, Cheerios for breakfast every single morning and find yourself not looking forward to breakfast, hey, try pancakes. Right? Something new. Yes. You can look forward to it. Yes. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up today. We're starting to lose... Mary's signal, which means her next door neighbors have gotten up and have started streaming Netflix. So uh, we're going to wrap that up for today. Uh, We will keep these questions from everybody else and we're going to paste them into next month's notes so that we can get to them because we've got questions here on uh, what else we got here. We have one Uh, exercises for winter. Oh yeah. We'll definitely do that next time because by the time no December rolls around, it's going to be freaking cold in most of the world. Uh, if you're in the northern heavens, hem- northern hemisphere, so we're going to do that one, and we will also post again and get more questions to fill out the show because we can't resist. So you can find links to today's show at horsesinthemorning.com. Just look for today's date, November eighth, if it's later on, and you can follow us on Facebook, Horses in the Morning. Uh, hit the like button and follow us. You can also follow us on Twitter. Yep, we have a Twitter account. It's at Horse Radio. You can have all of the shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone or Android. It's free and easy to use. You can choose all the shows, or you can pick and choose which shows you want. You have about 17 of them. And you can also listen on your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes. And thank you again to Horsewear and Total Saddle Fit for making this show happen. And uh, Mary, we'll see you next month. All right. See you then. See you then.